Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the outworking of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart of what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Father, we come trusting that these words are gifts from you, that they are words of life, that your spirit accompanies them and does his good recreating work in our hearts and lives. We also admit that we come to these words with many limitations, the limitations of our minds, the limitation of our hearts, the limitations of our sins. And so would you lead us to repentance As we come to these words, would you lead us to humility and would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive this powerful gift from you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a hypothetical for you. Uh, Many of you are not going to like this hypothetical, but stay with me. Let's say the Knowles lose... Five-ish games next fall. (laughs) For some of you, that's good. For most of you, that's not. (laughs) But let's say they lose five-ish games in the fall. What would happen? Well, there would be articles on ESPN about Jimbo Fisher that would use words like hot seat. (laughs) And fans and boosters would begin to grumble and wonder, and probably because of past Success, Jimbo wouldn't get fired, but if that happened the next year, I'm not so sure he would still be employed by Florida State University. Why? Well, because we lose confidence in coaches who don't win, right? We lose confidence in coaches who don't win. That is the dynamic which this passage addresses. You see, Ephesians is about winning. It is about the reality that God has triumphed over death through Jesus. And now Jesus rules over all things and is filling all things with God's peace and presence 
through the life of the church. Ephesians is about winning. But the author of Ephesians, well, it sure looks like he's losing. Twice in this text, at the beginning and end, the Apostle Paul makes mention of his imprisonment, of his sufferings. This one who wrote this letter all about victory is in chains. It seems as if he is losing to the Roman Empire. And these fledgling Christian communities, this movement that he helped to start, they're beginning to wonder. They are beginning to lose confidence in their coach. In the words of verse 13, they are losing heart as they see the sufferings of Paul. Don't you know what that feels like? Don't you know what it feels like to lose heart? To have your confidence shaken? The Apostle Paul isn't around anymore. But his message is. And his message is our coach. The gospel, the message about Jesus that Paul spoke about, that he wrote about in letters like this one, that message is our coach. As Christians, as a church, the gospel is our foundation. It is the driving force of our lives and of our life together. But don't you know what it feels like To lose heart in our coach. Don't you know what it feels like to have your confidence in the gospel shaken? It is a message about winning. Life over death. Peace over chaos. Righteousness over injustice and evil. But living in response to that message a lot of time feels like losing, doesn't it? Living a life in response to the gospel can often feel like losing. We struggle, we suffer, we are disappointed, we are hurt, we fail as individuals and as a community. And we are tempted to lose heart. To lose confidence in our coach. Don't you know what that feels like? If you say no, you, haven't, you either haven't lived long enough or you're lying to yourself. We all have those moments when we feel ourselves losing heart in this message. So what do we do? Well, let's allow this passage to bolster our confidence. We should not lose heart in the gospel because of what it says and because of what it does. First of all, what it says. We should not lose heart in the gospel because of its content. Paul's message here in the book of Ephesians is not only about victory, it is about treasure. And that treasure is God's grace. God's favor towards people that results in life. Life as it should be. God's grace is Him saying to someone, I am for you. 
I am for your ultimate and eternal life. And then God acting in accordance with that statement. That is God's grace. That is the treasure. And whenever a treasure shows up in a story, what's the question? Who gets it? To whom does it belong? Who gets access to these riches? That's the mystery in this passage. That is the mystery. Paul is a, Paul's message is about the mystery of who gets the wealth. Who gets the wealth of God's favor. The wealth of His grace. We've heard this mystery language before in Ephesians. Remember, it's not a whodunit. That's always clear. It is our God, our triune God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, who is at work, who is the primary actor in this drama. He is the one who is doing it. This mystery is a what done. It is the shocking accomplishment of God to open His riches, to open His wealth, the wealth of His grace, Towards not only Jews, but also Gentiles. The mystery is the stunning story of God extending His favor to us. To you. Through Jesus. And Paul had a role to play in that story, a role to play in that drama. Paul's role, along with the other apostles and prophets who were enlightened by the Holy Spirit, their role was that of steward. Stewards don't own. They allow and show and provide access. So Paul doesn't own the treasure of God's grace. His role is to show us, to reveal to us, Our access to that treasure. And that's why he's in prison. That's why he is suffering. He is suffering because of his role as a steward. You see, Paul could have avoided his current situation. First of all, he could have kept his mouth shut about the gospel. But of course, he didn't do that. And in fact, he was in the city of Jerusalem and he was running his mouth and he was getting into gospel trouble and he gets arrested. And he starts to bounce around the Roman justice system. And he ends up in front of an official named Festus. And Festus gives Paul a good option. He says, Paul, I will allow you to be tried before me in Jerusalem. Because that will lead to your release. Paul, I know you're innocent. And so if you will accept the opportunity to be tried before me, I will do that for you in Jerusalem and this will all go away. What does Paul do? He says, no thanks. Paul exercises his right as a Roman citizen to say no to that trial in Jerusalem and to demand an appeal to Caesar in Rome. He chose to remain in chains. Why? So he could take this message. The message of shocking inclusion. Into the heart of the Roman Empire. That's why Paul is in prison. He is in prison because he wants us to know. 
That God's treasure, God's grace, God's favor, God's life has been opened to us through Jesus. And that's why we shouldn't lose heart. You see, the book of Acts tells us that story that I just told you. And that book begins with Jesus talking to his friends and saying to them, you will be witnesses to me, not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's how the book begins. How does the book end? It's Paul in chains in Rome, boldly proclaiming the message, boldly proclaiming the gospel. And the last two words of that book are without hindrance. He plays the role of steward, even in prison, without hindrance. And that's why we shouldn't lose heart. Because this message that could not be stopped, even by the Roman Empire, this message, do you know what it says? It says God's grace goes to those who don't deserve it. Which is Jew and Gentile. Which is you and me. Paul lived and died. He suffered in chains. So that you can know that God's treasure has been opened towards you. This message is a little like going clubbing. I haven't done that in a while. Okay, let's be honest. I've never done that. (laughs) I'm not nearly cool enough, and I don't have a shiny shirt. So I've never been clubbing. But I do watch TV. And uh, TV tells me that there are clubs that are so popular that there there are lines outside the door. And at the door is a bouncer, right? And the bouncer has a list. And he decides who gets in and who stays out. Here's why Paul went in chains to Rome. He went in chains to Rome to tell you Jesus has bounced the bouncer. There is no bouncer at the door of God's joy. God's presence. The party of His grace. The door has been blown wide open. And all there is is Jesus' voice through Paul, through the Scriptures, saying, Come. Come. Come and welcome. You know why you're so exhausted? Do you know why you're discouraged? Do you know why you are losing heart? It's because you're living as if you're still outside the club. Trying to make yourself pretty enough. Trying to make yourself good enough. Trying to make yourself cool enough to get in. Won't you hear the voice of Jesus? Won't you see that open door? Won't you hear the message of the gospel saying, Come. The door is open to you. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. God's immeasurable favor is for you. In Jesus. But the gospel 
isn't just content. It isn't just that content. The gospel is also power. And so we shouldn't lose heart in this message, not only because of what it says, but also because of what it does, what it accomplishes. As we saw last week, the gospel gathers a community, right? It gathers, it creates, it produces us, it produces the church. And according to verse 10 in our text, what happens as the gospel gathers that community? God demonstrates, He displays His manifold wisdom. That phrase comes from the poetry of Paul's day. It was a phrase used to describe complex beauty. A garment woven of wealthy materials and made of all sorts of diverse colors. Beautiful. That's what the gospel is doing. The gospel is not only speaking beautiful words, it is weaving beautiful people. It is creating a beautiful community, and that's us, center point. But not only that, according to verse 10, to whom does God display this garment? To whom does He display this beauty? says he displays his manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That is most likely referring to spiritual powers hostile to God who would claim rivalry to his throne. God is saying to them through us, look at me now. The gospel not only makes us beautiful, the gospel makes us a beautiful expression of God's dominance, His supremacy, His preeminence, His power. The gospel makes us an expression of God's swagger over all other rulers and authorities. Bird songs are beautiful to us, are they not? Well, well, those songs are also functional, right? Birds sing to attract a mate, but that's another illustration for another sermon. Uh, They sing for a second reason. They sing to mark their territory. Birds sing to say, this area is mine, don't mess with it, and don't mess with me. Do you know what the gospel accomplishes? It makes us God's bird song. It makes us the song of His claim to all of creation. We are God saying, This is mine. Don't mess with me. We are the song of God's dominance. His supremacy. His preeminence over all other authorities. But remember again who we're talking about. And remember what the sound of this song is. It's the sound of clinking Roman chains. It is the sound of weakness. 
It's the sound of losing. Why? Because as a singer, that is God's consistent and distinctive sound. You remember Gideon in the Old Testament? God comes to him and he is cowering. He is attempting to fly under the radar of Israel's enemy, the Midianites. They're oppressors, a very powerful enemy. The the text says that they have more camels than you can count. That's how powerful their army was. And Gideon is cowering. He's hiding. He's trying to eke out an existence under the radar. And God comes to him and what does he say? Hail, mighty man of valor. He says, Gideon, you are my captain. You're the captain of the team. You're the captain of the team that is going to defeat this overwhelmingly powerful force. And after a lot of negotiating and cajoling, finally Gideon sort of steps into that role and he he gets the troops together. And there aren't nearly enough of them to beat the Midianites. What does God do? Does he say, here, have some more troops. Here, here, Gideon, let me supplement you with angelic warriors. No. God says there's too many. There's too many of them. This already too small force is too large according to God's standards. And so through a series of tests, Gideon whittles down this army to only 300 men. And what happens? Those 300 men defeat the powerful army that has more camels than you can count. Why? Because God sounds his strength through human weakness. God sings his power. He sings his dominance through our weakness. CBR readers, isn't that what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? A section of that book that sounds very similar to Ephesians chapter 3. Paul lays out a laundry list of all of his sufferings. And he says, hey, you want proof that I'm an apostle? That I belong to Jesus? That I represent Jesus uniquely? You want proof? Look at this. Look at how much pain. Look at how many difficulties. Look at these sufferings. And then if that were enough, he goes on to talk about this thorn in the flesh. And we have no idea what that was, but it was some sort of pain, some sort of weakness. And Paul begs God to take it away. And what does God do? He says, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God sings his song of dominance through our suffering, through our loss, through our pain, and through our weakness. And that was true of Gideon, and that was true of Paul, and that is true of us, because ultimately it's true of Jesus. How did God win this incredible victory over death and Satan? Well, through Jesus. Suffering and dying on the cross. God sounds His strength in the place of our pain and our suffering and our weakness. And so don't lose heart. God is still singing. 
in your disappointment for how life has turned out for you, don't lose heart. God is still singing. As you wonder if the gospel is as powerful and effective as it claims to be, don't lose heart. God is still singing. As you struggle with sin and it seems as if it will own your life forever, don't lose heart. God is still singing. During World War II, an army chaplain named Frederick MacDonald started a collection. As he traveled throughout Europe with different units, he would go to churches that had been destroyed by bombs. And he would collect the shards of the stained glasses from those churches. And those shards, those fragments, sat in boxes for over 50 years after the war. Until a stained glass artist found out about them and started a relationship with this chaplain. And they conceived a project where they involved 25 artists who took these ruins these old pieces of glass, and made new windows out of them. You can see them in a chapel in San Francisco. Beauty out of the shards of suffering, of loss, of pain, of tragedy. That's what the gospel accomplishes in us. That's what the gospel accomplishes in you. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in this message that says you are welcome. You are welcome into God's grace. Don't lose heart in this message that makes of us, that makes of our pain, that makes of our suffering. Beautiful expression of God's immeasurable power. Let's pray.